Hey everyone, it's Jeff from Modern Combat Survival, and I don't know about you, but all it takes is watching a few episodes of the HBO series Oz, or the reality show Lock Up Raw, to give most people nightmares about what it would really take to survive in a maximum security prison. Obviously, making sure that your fighting skills are top-notch is going to rank pretty high on the priority list. And I'm not necessarily talking about taking Taekwondo classes down to local McDojo with the 8-year-olds. Prison felons learn quickly that the only way to survive a vicious, violent attack is to be aware of your surroundings and absolutely commit to destroying that attacker in front of you, who's just as committed to your own destruction. And it's these skills that we're about to tap into today with a unique and rare opportunity I know you're going to love. Let's go ahead and get started. If bullets were flying, your adrenaline surging, would you hit your target? If the world as you know it crumbled tomorrow, collapsed into chaos, you know how to survive? If you and those you loved were cornered by a gang, violently attacked, could you protect them? Could you protect them? Could you protect them? Firearms training, urban survival, close quarters combat. This, this is another podcast to help you better prepare for any threat you may face in your role as a protector and a patriot. This is Modern Combat and Survival. In the self-defense arena, we talk a lot about the reality of real fights and how to survive an attack from a violent street criminal. Unfortunately, most of what you'll find in the marketplace as training information is based upon old-school martial arts training more than real-world experience. But let's face it, the common street criminal and gang member doesn't practice martial arts typically. Instead, they've learned the hard way that the only way to survive a real life-or-death attack is to get absolutely brutal. And nowhere is this more evident than our, in our own prison system, where it's essentially a primordial proving ground where wolves all battle for dominance and the sheep battle for just plain survival. Now, as an inmate in America's toughest prisons, you're literally forced with the potential of kill or be killed on a daily basis. To survive, you have to condition your mind, your body, and your fighting skills, because these are more valuable to you than even the prison guards who are supposedly watching over the inmates. Now, I'll be honest, I'm, I'm not talking from experience here. I've never spent time in prison, and God willing, I never will. But frankly, there's a lot we can learn from those who have spent time behind bars and know what it really takes to survive a violent attack. And that's what we're here to discover right now. Hello, everyone. This is Jeff Anderson, editor for Modern Combat and Survival Magazine, with another podcast to help you better prepare in your role as a protector and a patriot. And back with us today is, I think, the only expert in our network who can legitimately school us in this topic. Please welcome back Jermaine Andre to the show. Jermaine, thanks for taking some time with us today. Definitely. How are you doing, Jeff? I'm glad to be back on. Awesome, man. It's really great to get back here. We had a lot, of, we had a lot of fun last time, and I've got some, uh, some really cool stuff to ask you this time. We're going to get a lot out of this. So, listen, everyone. Yeah, we get, I see we're getting really real this time. <laughs> yeah, this, we are getting real this time. Hey, um, listen, if you, if you guys didn't catch the last, uh, podcast that we did with Jermaine, uh, you really missed out. You need to go check that out. Jermaine's trained in, in numerous martial arts since his early childhood, including, but not limited to, Muay Thai kickboxing, Russian sambo, Brazilian jiu-jitsu, kung fu, karate, taekwondo, judo and wrestling he's a ufc veteran and multiple world champion and u.s champ as well as law enforcement instructor certified in use of force impact weapons weapon retention and weapon disarming among others he's also spent over 15 years in the fields of security and executive protection for high-profile clientele 
But what you might not expect, judging from Jermaine's professional background, is that he grew up in the streets, fighting in gang wars, and was ultimately incarcerated in maximum security lockdown, forced to survive with his bare hands against society's predators and backstabbers, sometimes literally. Now, it's his unique history of real-world experience in dealing with extreme life-and-death scenarios mixed with his amazing fight skills in and out of the ring that have led Jermaine to develop and train tactics to go beyond just theory and focus in on what you really need to survive an attack. In addition, he's also just released a giant autobiography that's loaded with key insights into not only his journey from the streets to the success he is today, but also in the mental and physical processes of a part of society few of our listeners will ever will ever know. At least you hope you never know. You can learn more about Jermaine and his training at www.attack-back.com, and you can check out his new books over at www.muaytiger.com, and that's M-U-A-Y-T-H-A-I-G-E-R.com. And I got I just I'm going to give a personal plug here right from the start because I I have Jermaine's books. And I'll tell you, I'm not a reader. Like, I'm an audio book reader. I just, the only time I read is when I stick it on my head with the headphones and then I take off and go for a run. That's my reading. But as I was preparing for this interview with, with you, Jermaine, I, I started reading like little excerpts here and there in the book and scanning and, uh, I couldn't put it down. I gotta say, I really couldn't put it down. They're, they're, you're, the way that you wrote these things is so visual and so gripping. And these experiences you've gone through, both in and out of prison and on the streets and in your fight history, there's just, there's amazing uh, takeaways there, even from people that um, not even, maybe not even interested with maybe somebody's personal story as an autobiography, but even just as a student of the street or a student of criminals or a student of self-defense, there's a lot of stuff in there. So my kudos to you, man. That's, that's a huge accomplishment. But, Thanks, Jeff. Yeah, when I, when I wrote that book, you know, I just, I just put the truth out there. You know, I made sure, of course, I didn't, you know, uh, make sure that when I put the truth out there, it wouldn't harm anybody but me. You know, I changed names, even had to change some of the things so that, you know, nobody else could be, you know, picked up on what I put in that book. But mm-hmm. it's, it's real stuff. You know, it's, it's a real true lesson. It's a life lesson, you know, through everything that I went through and the, uh, the, the deals that I had. I mean, it, and it's crazy. Like I say, it comes from the, from all the way from the streets as a kid fighting with, you know, knives and bats and sticks on the streets and guns and then ending up in prison and then going to the cage and fighting worldwide. And it's just, it's crazy. And it's so funny because I always say that the lesson, the biggest lesson I learned through my life of violence is that the the greatest technique that we can use on each other is kindness. And I actually do motivation talks about that, that Mm -hmm. through all of this, you know, through everything I've learned when I bodyguard and I I was doing bouncer work, my kindness was the most powerful technique I had. Yeah. <laughs> of course, that's in a situation where you got somebody you can talk down. You know, yeah. something. Of course, today we're talking about people that you can't talk down, but you're going to have to walk them down. Yeah, that's, that's right. <laughs> yeah, handing out a lollipop out in the yard is probably not going to necessarily get you out of out of <laughs> a fight. But it'll get you in real serious trouble. Yeah. You got a lollipop. <laughs> that's right. That's right. So, so here's what I want to do, Jermaine. I mean, let's let's really start by getting into the head of the type of individuals that someone may face in a criminal attack. What do you think the average Joe like just doesn't get about the criminal mindset? And what's the most critical lesson that we need to know to apply that understanding to protecting ourselves on the street? Well, I'll say uh, criminals know that, you know, the everyday Joe is not ready for the shock of a real attack. You know, that's that's one of the main things is that when, when an attack happens, when, you know, the shit's about to hit the fan, it's almost like you go into a whole new world in your brain because it's a place 
that the brain's not familiar with. You know, because how many times, everybody think about how many times have you actually been in a situation where you felt your life was on the line and you were about to die. And if you didn't make the right move right now, you're dead meat. Probably not, not at all. You know, so criminals know that when I jump out and I pull this knife or I pull this gun, or I let this person know that I'm about to attack them, they're going to freeze. So that's one of the main things they look at. Um, I think another thing is too that one of the, one of the, um, edges that criminals or, uh, you know, and I'm saying from the hardened mentality of a convict, like a prisoner who's been through it and survived and made it, and he decides to come out and he doesn't straighten his life out and he continues down the wrong path. What he's got is he's got the, the mentality to sacrifice all for an immediate win. You know, when you're inside, you get put in these situations, you know, whether it's a knife fight or just a decision you make or a fist fight or a deal against the guards, a deal against the warden, where you have to say, I will ready, I'll be dead right now than not to come out of the situation on top. And that, that gives a really strong energy. And I think, you know, um, the everyday Joe, everybody's afraid to lose a cell phone. You know, they're afraid to get evicted from their home so that they don't, they don't ever think about the fact that I'm willing to put my life on the line to win at this moment. You know, and uh, another thing that is the uh, everyday Joes, most of them, they, you know, criminals know that most of them who train in self-defense and, and weapons and stuff like that, honestly, they train in it for fun. They train in it to feed the ego or to brag about the fact that they train. You know, they, they'll go to a workshop and, and do it just to fill a quota in their head that, hey, I did self-defense training, so I'm good. I don't need to worry about that anymore. And they know they don't practice it. They know that when it comes time that they have to use it Number one, they're not going to believe in themselves. And if they do, it's going to be something sloppy, something that hasn't been tested, something that's not going to work, where they've done things that they know are going to work. So they kind of, they can, they can kind of count on that. And, and something that I think, you know, everyday Joes have to really get in the back of their head is when they run into somebody like this, this individual looks at them as the bad guy. And I know sometimes we think, you know, especially the way Hollywood plays everything out where the good guy always wins in the end, we think, you know, as a, as a everyday Joe, we think he's a good guy because he's getting attacked and it's somehow supposed to turn out in his favor, that something's going to happen or, you know, even if they try this, that they're supposed to win. And they have to understand that these criminals look at them as the bad guy, as the oppressor, as the part of the bad part of the system, as their enemy. You know, the bad guy, they, they, the criminal thinks, I'm the good guy in the situation, so I'm going to give my all to take their stuff because they actually owe it to me. Whatever it is, whether they're trying to take somebody's money, they're trying to take somebody's life, so they're highly motivated in that manner. So the everyday joke, they got to get motivated. They got to get to the point where I always say, when I train people, I say, I'm training you. Everything we do here in Jermaine Andre's Academy, I'm just training you and putting you through all of this. You're hitting the pad 10,000 times. So when that moment comes, if it ever comes in your life, where you have to use this, you're going to use it correctly at that moment. You're going to put everything into it. So you did all these 10 million punches and kicks or whatever it is, on bars, you know, uh, practicing with the knife, so that when that moment hits, you can say, yeah, let's go. I'm ready. Let's do it. And I think that's one of the, one of the main things that the everyday Joe doesn't think about and that the criminal knows that they, the advantage that they have over him is because of those reasons. You know, I think another aspect of this, which I'm really curious about, because, you know, I, when I think about, like, being out in the yard, right, it's like this constant state of, like, look, having to look over your shoulder or when is an attack going to come, you know, and it's it's almost like, you know, even in your work as an executive protection professional, and, I, and I've done bodyguard work as well, and it's like you always have to be ready, right? Like, you never, you always have to have in your mind um, that 
like today's the day. It's not that if it's going to happen. That's right. But it's like, no, it's going to happen. It's just a matter of where it's going to come from. And that's a whole other level of, if you want to call it paranoia, but it's like a professional paranoia. So, and the thing about the, the criminal who's out on the street who is in a predatory state where he's looking for a victim, he's already decided on his path. But the person who's walking to their car from the restaurant with their spouse or whatever, um, what from you being out in that situation where you don't know when an attack might come or, or what's going to happen, what what insight can you give us about like being in that state of alert? I know we talk about you know white zone and yellow zone and orange zone and red zone and black zone and purple zone and whatever zone, but what what can you what's like your number one tip about just like making sure that you are in a state where that person who has already targeted you is is not going to get a hundred percent ambush on you. Well, it's, you know, I always, and I just speak from the, the way I operate. Yeah. I always, first of all, I start preparing before I walk out the door, you know, and especially a guy who's got a family, like you say, he's got a family. If he's going somewhere, you have to assess the area that you enter in, just like we do with bodyguards. You know, I say, when I'm getting ready to bodyguard somebody, you know, um, the first and main most important thing I'm going to do is control the area that we're entering. Or I'm going to be so familiar with that area that I'm going to know the bad, you know, where I could be ambushed from, you know, watching the corners. Before you approach an area, you got to, you have to predict. You know, like a good example, my daughter and I were downtown St. Louis the other day, and uh, we had a book signing. And we came walking out of, we were coming out of, out of a doctor's office. You know, it was where the book signing was at, professional area, professional people. And we stepped, about to step out to the streets of St. Louis. We got boxing ahead, and I stopped her. I said, what do you have ready to fight with? And she just kind of looked at me. She said, well, I can drop the bag. She, of course, she didn't have the bags where she, you know, was trapped by them. She could drop the bag. She, I said, no, why don't you have a weapon in your hand? You need to be ready right now. I said, this is going to happen when we walk out there. The only surprise that you should have is that it did not happen. And it's like you said, it's not about being paranoid, you know, because once you learn to think like that as a habit, it becomes just a habit where you don't feel like, oh, man, I'm being this paranoid person, you know, and, and I'm crazy or I'm psychotic or anything like that. It almost turns into a game, but you can't let it be too much of a game so that when it does happen, you end up freezing up. But that's the, that's the main thing. I always make sure whatever, whatever, whatever area I'm going into, I'm identified with that area. You know, I'm, I'm looking at that area before I approach anything. I'm looking from, a, you know, 20, 30 feet away. And I can see that trash can dumpster. I can see that corner right there. I can see this guy, I see this car parked here, and I'm watching. You know, I'm looking, I'm paying attention to make sure that keeps me a step ahead. Yeah, awesome. Well, look, there's um, we talk about kind of like who that person we may have to fight is. I mean, there's a big difference between facing, you know, some blowhard bully at the bar and a dangerous prison felon who's standing in front of you, in between you and the car. So when it comes to a street-hardened criminal, how do you know when the fight is really on versus like that common, you know, that barroom knucklehead? Like what signs do you notice that let you know that you're going to have to fight? Well, I would say, you know, first of all, the attacker is going to go quiet. You know, um, he's going to go quiet. He's going to start moving towards you. His eyes are going to get focused directly on you. As you know, you know, like you say, the, the loud barroom, guy, you know, you got to think about what's the bar room guy's motivation. Usually it's, uh, you know, he wants to look like the tough guy. And if you, if you would say to the bar room, oh man, I don't want to fight you. You're the king. You're the god of all. He probably wouldn't even hit you because that's what he really wants is just a reputation most of the time. You know, so they're loud. They're making noise. They're trying to draw attention, all this kind of stuff. 
but the the guy who's the hardened criminal who's real and he's on a direct mission, you know, he's he's operating operating like a, a military soldier. He's gonna get focused straight on you. He's gonna go quiet. The talking's gonna stop, and he's gonna start moving towards you. So that's what you wanna you know you really wanna watch out for. And the other thing is, he's definitely gonna lure you, lure you, or catch you in an area where there are no witnesses. You know, so if this guy, you may maybe let's say. You know, this guy's watching you inside a bar. You want him, this guy looking at you, you know, something like that. And you get into a little bumping match with him, a little argument. And then he goes quiet. He stops arguing with you. And then, you know, he says, okay, it's cool. It's fine. Don't worry about it. And he walks away. That's the guy you want to watch. And he's probably going to catch you when you come out outside somewhere where there's no witnesses and nobody can save you. You know, so that's the really, really dangerous right there. So, you know, anytime he goes quiet, starts moving towards you, his eyes are focused on you. It's probably game on. You need to start getting ready to fight. And then, you know, look out for the fact that he's probably going to try and lure you later when nobody's around that can save you or help you into an attack area where he's got you and, no, you know, there's no witness or anything that can help you. You know, kind of along that same lines, let me ask you this, because I think this is um, – we, we talk about this a lot, but I'm really curious because you've, you've been on both sides of the law here. So, you know, right. we talk about, like, with a holdup, right? Like, let's just – put us in the alley because, you know, we just decided to walk down a dark alley. It just looked like something we would walk down. And some guy <laughs> that popped, shouldn't have been doing. Yeah, I probably shouldn't have been there, but, hey, it looked like fun. So I walked down the alley. Bad guy comes out of, of behind a dumpster or whatever, has a gun or a knife, and says, give me your money. And we always say, like, you know, preferably have, like, a dummy wallet. Here you go. You know, that sort of a thing. And they go off. Or regardless, you know, give them what they want. There's no sense in trying to fast draw them or anything like that. But but then it's like, okay, well, how do you know if if that's good enough or not? Obviously they could you know, if they turn around and run away, you know, fine, you lost you lost your wallet or whatever. But um but is there any indication that you tell your students like, okay, if you give if you comply with what they do, here's where you really need to be afraid if they do what? Like what is it that, that after that point that we need to be on the lookout for that says, wait a minute I'm in a whole. I'm I'm in a whole other world of hurt right now. Well, if you like, you said, if somebody jumps out and they ask for your wallet. Um, of course, like you say, the best thing you can do is your know, dummy wallet's best. You know, um, and not toss it away from them. You know, on the ground. Well, hopefully they'll turn and go to grab it off the ground. You run into somebody who's a, who's an expert. They're probably not going to fall for that. You know, they they may want your watches, your rings, everything. So they got the gun put on you. Of course, the best thing you always try to do is toss at them and try and get that where that gun's not pointed at you and then make your dash for it. You know, you, there are people who rob people and shoot them right afterwards. Most of the time, I always tell my students, and eh, look, if they're going to shoot you, they're probably going to just walk up and shoot you, then rob you because it'll be easy to get stuff off of you. But then some of them will say, well, I don't want blood all over me. I don't want their blood all So they may take the stuff and then shoot you so you don't identify them. So... I would always say you want to try and get them off guard, even if you're not going to try to take the weapon. Like, let's say you got a guy who's smart, and he stays 10 feet away, you know, and he's got his gun at hip hip height and saying, you know, hey, man, give up your stuff. Then I start tossing stuff and tossing valuables. And once I see that I've got his attention where he's looking and maybe he saw some cash at the floor, maybe he's seen my watch at the floor, and he looks at that nice watch, I'm gone. You know, turn around, zigzag run, get out of there. Because you, you just you just never know how far they're willing to go is if they're going to, you know, just blast you right there or not, because that's the main one of the main things they worry about is getting identified. If he's got a ski mask on, maybe not, but then maybe that's more of a reason for him to shoot you. So a lot of time I say, you got to go with your intuition. And, and then if you get a situation where 
you know, like I said, you're in your home or something, somebody breaks in, they got a gun, and, and your, your kid's in the back room, you know, and they say they get ready to shoot you and they're going to kill your kids, then you, then you have to go for that weapon and mm-hmm. try to take it away. Yeah. And one of the things I would always keep in mind, too, is, you know, you face off somebody that got a gun that pointed at you. You know, I'm the type that, and this is coming from me personally, I'd rather be shot fighting than, you know, somebody just blast me in the back of the head or blast me in the chest and I didn't take a chance. So me personally, if I got caught in that situation, then what I'm going to do is, like I said, when I was talking about tossing items, one of those items is going to hit him in the face. You know, whether it's my wallet or my watch, something where he's going to have to blink. He's going to have to look away. The, the aim of that gun is going to shift. And then, like I said, then phew, I'm bolting out of there. If I'm close enough, I'm attacking him and trying to take the gun from him. I just don't like the idea of, you know, like I tell, I, I tell my daughter and my, my you know, my uh, wife and everybody that if we ever go in the bank together and some bank robbers come in, get be ready to get shot. Because I'm not letting them tie us up, you know, and do whatever they, what they want to do to us to see if the SWAT team's going to save us later. You know, I'm I'm making my move. They're going to have to shoot me in the chest. So if if you're living by that thought that, dude, I'm not going to, you know, I'm not going to just stand here and let you do it and see what happens and let you be the one who decides, I would say throw something in their face, you know, anything. And let it, when it hits their face and they blink and they turn away and that, the barrel of that gun's pointing in a different direction, <laughs> zigzag out of there, you know. And like I said, if they, if they weren't planning on shooting you, they're not even going to fire a shot because they got your items anyway. They got the watch, they got the the wallet or whatever it is that you threw at them. Yeah, good point. And one of the other, you know, one of the other things you said there is, you know, communicating with your family. Like you don't want them to not know what you're going to do. I mean, it's a hard conversation right. to have sometimes, but you know, that's that's pre, that prior coordination can make a world of difference. Awesome. Listen, Definitely. okay. Well, we've been talking with Jermaine Andre of MuayTiger.com about his insights into how to survive a real attack against a hardened criminal based upon his own personal experiences fighting in the streets, prison, and in competition. Now, we've got a lot more to get into. It's all coming right up, including what it really takes to win when you're staring eyeball to chest with a bigger, stronger attacker who's ready to separate your head from your shoulders. Dirty fight moves that you can master now when you suddenly realize that there's no such thing as a fair fight in the streets. And real-world training tactics to prepare you for facing a professional predator without having to go rob a liquor store in order to enroll in a prison dojo. But first, check out this special message. Imagine staring up at a six foot nine, three hundred fifty pound biker dude, rage in his eyes, ready to cram a beer bottle down your throat as payback for bumping into him. Would you know exactly what to do? Without cowering in fear, without begging for mercy, without getting stomped to the floor and beaten while your family watches in horror, you will now with this simple three-step plan. One, don't take your family to biker bars. That's really kind of stupid, isn't it? Two, harden your mind with bulletproof warrior confidence. And three, master your own secret bag of shockingly powerful fight tricks. Waiting for you and your free DVD you can claim now at DefeatLargerAttackers.com. In a real fight, you don't have the option of losing. Not when your life or the safety of your family hiding behind you is on the line. You need to know exactly what to do in those first few seconds of an attack and end it quickly and walk away with your life, your loved ones, and your pride intact. In this free DVD, you'll discover the street fighting secrets for how to knock a bigger, stronger man headfirst into the pavement with brutal, unstoppable power and speed regardless of your size, strength, or even if you've never been in a fight before in your life. 
Claim your free DVD now while this offer is still available at www.defeatlargerattackers.com and unleash your true potential to kick ass. And now, back to the show. Okay, we're back with Jermaine Andre of MuayTiger.com to get his street fight tips, tricks, and tactics he learned from his time spent in gang wars and doing hard time under maximum security. So now is where we get into the really technical stuff that you're going to need to know. So let's not waste any time. Let's go back in our interview now. So listen, Jermaine, the prison is a real trip, I think, back in time to our most primitive state where every day could be a fight for survival. And I think just like back in the caveman days, it can be a battle to be the alpha male in order to assert your dominance and make sure that you're the one who survives. Now, that's typically also the biggest, baddest mofo sitting around the fire pit outside the cave. And I know that we all have this vision, or I mean, I think you could even call it a fear, really, for those people of us that they don't want to go to prison, but we have this fear of being in prison and facing this giant muscle-bound thug with, with no way to escape from being victimized or forced to fight. Now, if fight is your only option, what's the best strategy for someone to take against an attacker who is like twice your size and ready to rip your head off? Well, i tell you um, a good way to for me to, to let you know about that one was I know when I when I first went in, I was you know getting locked up. The um, my, my main mission was to find, to seek out and find the individual who was that guy, you know, the one who thinks he's going to dominate everybody and do something. And I was going to look for him. And I was going to I was going to find him, and I was going to get him first before he had a chance to even think of getting me. So. What I would say that, and what that is, what that is, is un, uh, uneven the odds. You, you got to uneven the odds of somebody bigger than you. And the, the way that that can be done is you got to fight him when he can't fight. So let's say, you know, if I would, if I see which I didn't, I didn't have that problem when I went in. But let's say if I would have had that word, you know, I seen this guy and he's eyeballing, he's, you know, pointing the finger, he's saying I'm next, this and that, you know, then all this. Then I would did everything I could to work around his schedule, around the prison, around the guards. Maybe catch him when he's sleeping, you know, catch him when he's when he's eating, catch him when he's got his food. So this can work even on the streets in a self defense situation. You know, you want to uneven the odds for him by you can just let's say you know a guy walks up to you, you get ready to get into it. You can fake fear. You can you can fake a submission. I teach women that all the time. I say if some big giant. Six foot four, two hundred seventy pound guy grabs you and throws you to the ground, and 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 draws back and says he's going to do this to you. Don't punch him with your cardio kickboxing punch. You know, don't try to. Why this guy's energetic? He's in fight mode. He's ready to kill. I said, pretend to submit. Tell him, hey, don't don't do anything to me. I'm gonna give you exactly what you want. Get that brain thinking in the area that they were thinking of. And that's the same thing even with, you know, if somebody's coming out to try and make an attack on you, even if they're they're they mean business and they're gonna make that attack, pretend to be weak. This is some this is a strategy I even use in uh, my professional fight game. And if, if you watch me fight, you'll see a lot of times they, they call me that I'm the peekaboo fighter. Because I would actually make my opponent think something was working that wasn't working. You know, and I, that's uneven an odds on them. You know, that's that's throwing them off guard. And then he think it was working and he when he thought I was weak and then he decided to take use that moment to, to re recompose himself or to catch his breath or catch his balance. Then smash, smash, smash. Then I'd attack back hard, and that's when I'd get my win. I'd catch him off guard. You know, so definitely, you know, if you're faking fear, faking the submission, faking to be weak, 
so that he'll lower his strength, he'll lower his attack, he won't attack as hard, then that's, that's what his defense will lower also, his mentality, that, that aggressiveness, you know, that primitive kill-kill will start backing off, and then that's when you can make an attack that's going to be more effective. You know, um, I mean, initializing a weapon, man, always. You know, anything you can hit somebody with, anything that you can club them with, anything you can stab somebody with, you know, any, anything like that, you always want to try and initialize a weapon, you know, first. Before, you know, anybody, anytime you deal with somebody bigger than you and, you know, attacking the groin, the eyes and the throat, no matter how big somebody is, you know, we can't put muscle on our groin, we can't put muscle in our eyes, we can't put muscle, you know, on our, you know, on our throat. You get a good hit in that throat, you get a good kick in, the, in that groin, you know, you take that finger, thumb, you know, you don't have to be a martial art expert, just think, I need this to go in that eyeball and to push that eyeball back as far as I can. And then when you do that, you know, no matter how big or strong he is, that's going to hurt him. That's going to slow him down. That's, that can even stop him. Yeah. Well, let's dig a little bit deeper into the technique sort of stuff. I know you you do a lot of different you know, martial arts training and uh, mixed martial arts training, and not to mention the experience that you've actually had on the street. And we always say that like, there's no rules on the street. And I have to imagine that out in the prison yard, there's probably – I could be wrong. Again, I've not been to prison, but – I doubt that everybody's kind of studying their katas and doing their, their taekwondo, double dragon spinning, you know, back somersault kicks and stuff like that. And I think that, you know, people that live a life on the streets and get into fights on the streets realize early on that if you're going to actually, that it's much better to win than it is to try and fight fair and, you know, and somehow look and have bragging rights. But, you know, what are some of the, the, the dirtier fight moves, if you will, that you found to work the best against a violent attacker that someone could easily pull off in a real street fight without having to, you know, learn 10 years of, of karate? Well, I say first, uh, you'd actually be surprised that in the prisons, people who are out there practicing katas <laughs> and stuff sometimes. Huh. Um, there are, you know, there are strikes like in karate, you know, there are kicks in uh, taekwondo and some of the traditional arts that if you hit a person with, it will work. But if you if you keep in mind that the element of surprise is what everybody's using inside there, you know, very rarely is there, you know, a, 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 a matchup where, all right, let's face off and let's fight each other. Unless it's, you know, you know, uh, actual fighting, you know, gambling matches or something like that. But as far as life and death situations, you know, this guy who steps up to this guy and throws a old Shotokan karate reverse punch right to his solar plexus. He's going to fracture that dude's whole rib cage, you know, and then throws the old Shotokan, you know, rear elbow strike and steps into it with everything he's got when he catches him off guard. A lot of times, even I've initiated some of those techniques when it comes to bodyguarding, uh, you know, and security work because it's never a, a face, you know, all right, Jermaine, in this corner, Jermaine Andre, and in this corner, Ron, Ron, Jun, ding, and they ring the bell and we go at it. And we both got footwork and balance. We're both ready. I'm saying I'm going to catch this guy off guard. And instead of me hitting him with a, even a Muay Thai elbow, which is very powerful, the old school Shotokan karate elbow where I'm coming from a, you know, a, a, a forward front horse stand and I got all the power and bam, not bad. I can put every piece of my body weight behind it. That's going to give me a lot more power if I can set everything up prior to it to where I can cast the person off guard with it. So yeah, sometimes people were out there practicing cottage, you'd be surprised. But so strike first, like what you're saying is, you know, if if you know the fight's on, if you get you get those pre-fight indicators, if you can get that first strike in, that's a hell of a lot better than waiting for somebody to say, okay, you know, tell you or or show you with their own strike that the fight's on. Definitely. Yeah. It's like if I had a choice, let's say I was going to catch somebody off guard and I had a choice to use a, uh, let's say, a boxing uppercut 
to the body or, you know, um, well, I'd probably use a, a Muay Thai, a Muay Thai jump knee would be the most powerful thing to use. But if I had a choice between a boxing punch overcut or a, a Shotokan karate reverse punch, I'd use that Shotokan karate reverse punch, you know. And of course, that's because I've trained with it and I've, I know how the power works with it. So, but it is, you know, traditional also have a little bit to offer in the, uh, fight game. But in regards to the, the things that people can use, you know, number one, hit first, you know, hit first, hit hard, you know, uh, catch a person while they're talking, catch them while they're thinking. You know, I teach that, you know, we, uh, we disarm weapons. You know, I say, you know, ask the person when the person point a gun in your face, they got a gun right in your face. If you want to take the gun, the first thing you say is, what do you want? What do you want? When they say, give me your, you know, why to, to respond, take the gun. That same thing can work in the fact of somebody who's about to attack you. Wait, wait, what do you want? What do you want? Please don't hurt me. Hey, I'm going to buy it. And you throw your attack right when they're trying to respond and trying to think and, you know, answer you and trying to think about what they want to do. Um, hitting combinations. Never stop hitting. Don't stop. Say, don't stop hitting until you're dead. You know, even if they're on the ground, hit, hit, hit until they're unconscious or whatever, you can get out of there, you know. But hitting first, hitting the combinations. Another good trick that um, anybody can use is think that somebody's behind the person. You know, uh, if somebody's coming up on your streets about to attack you, you know, officer over here and act like you're talking and you point to somebody standing behind them. They're going to turn around and look, oh, crap, officer. Because he's talking about then when they turn back around, it should be lights out for them, you know, or you're out of there if you're trying to just escape. You know, so faking that somebody behind them, I've, I've used that one a lot. And every time I've used it, you know, it works. And what I would do when uh, it came to dealing with, uh, like, security issues and stuff like that, I would actually just look over their shoulder and, like, nod and say, take them or something like that, where it looks like I'm trying to be secretive. And then they really think that somebody's really behind them. And then by the time they turn around, it's, it's lights out for them. Mm-hmm. You know, um, spit in their face, man. You know, that, that, you spit in their face. Nobody likes to be spit on. You know, that could be, that could be your first shot. You just <laughs> spit right in their face. They're, uh, grunt. While they're, you know, trying to wipe, they blink, close their eyes. Boom, that's where you can throw your attack right behind them. You can also toss keys in their face. You know, like, like I said before, toss your wallet in their face. Anything that you got that you could just, just toss at them. And I found that for self-defense, something easy as citizens can use if you, you know, if a person, of course, they don't have a weapon. If they got a weapon, you don't want to be close to them, you know, unless you know how to defend against the weapon. But um, as far as just in a, like a street brawl or something like that, man, get that, that Muay Thai knees with a clinch, you know, where you grab around that neck and just start kneeing. And, of course, there's a street fight, so you're kneeing the groin, you're kneeing the body. There, There is no no block for the Muay Thai knees with a grab, except for what we do at Muay Thai. And what we do is we hip in and we use our shins to shut down the knees. Because naturally what even happens is you grab somebody behind their neck, what do they naturally do? They want to bend over anyway because they want to try and start grabbing at you, which puts their face right at knee in range. And you just knee them in their face and, and, and smash that face, you know. So I found that to be really good. If you got somebody who you can reach up and get your hands around. Now, if it's somebody that's, that's bigger, like, you know, I watched your, uh, your one video where, you, where the guy was going, he's the huge guy, that huge guy in the bar. Remember the girl brought her boyfriend in? Yeah. And it was just this big old guy. I mean, he was just built like a, man, I don't even want to say what he could, like a bull. <laughs> yeah. You know, but he was about, he towered over the guy. And I was looking and I was saying, man, what would you use on this guy? I don't even know if you'd even have confidence to kick him in the groin or smash his knee or anything. And I think you guys said the, the palm strike was a really good one, like a hooking palm strike. What I find really good that I like best that I teach is what's called a hammer fist, uh, like a karate hammer fist. And when it's thrown correctly, it's really weird and awkward looking, so it's hard to block. 
but it, it's like swinging a baseball bat, and it, it aims for the temple on the person you're going against, and it generates so much smashing power that I think that just, you know, a little bit, like I have my daughter doing it on the badge and stuff, and I just imagine to myself, and I've even had her, like, tap me in the head. I said, tap me in the head with it, just so I see if she'll just tap me with it. And, you know, I just feel everything just go dizzy, and I'm like, man, if she really just used her power with that and caught even me on the temple with that, and it's not a hard technique, you know, and like I said, it's hard to even block because it's really awkward looking, that could just knock somebody out. Yeah. Awesome. Well, lots of great tips in there, really. So let's let's talk about putting those into uh into some practice here. And I mean you've got you've got an amazing fight history. I mean, and we're not just talking about the octagon either. We're talking about streets, we're talking about prison. And that's an experience that you can't buy, nor would anybody want to. But I'm curious how all this experience has really shaped like your training strategy and, and how you're how you're teaching others to really prepare for this kind of thing. So what would you say are the best ways that someone can incorporate the reality of facing a hardened, violent criminal into their actual training for defending against a real street attack. I mean, what specifically can we do to make sure that our training is realistic and practical from the basis of what, like, a prison veteran might know versus what, you know, what we might know? Well, one, you know, don't be afraid to, to train around, you know, people from the criminal world. You know, there are, you'd be surprised to learn how many people that you're standing right around, you know, every day, you know, especially in martial arts schools. Uh, if you go to any kind of martial arts school that has fighters, many, many of them have been in prison and jail, things like that, you know, and they come out and they're trying to straighten their life out and they're using the fight game, you know, as a, uh, you know, a bridge to start straightening things out and stuff like that. So don't be afraid to train around them. Don't be afraid to be around them, in, you know, in those because they'll have a, a sense of intensity that, you know, that, that they can't wipe off that you'll start to feel comfortable around those types of people. Like I said, where when that, that shock comes, when they bring that, that initial fear, you know, you'll kind of be used to those types of individuals. Um, and I always say you, you got to gear up, you got to spar full contact. You know, you got to put the mouthpiece in, put the head gear on, the shin guards, put the boxing gloves on, you know, the MMA gloves. And, you know, and going in, of course, have somebody, you know, that's uh, coaching to make sure nobody gets hurt. And really just go at it, you know, especially with the MMA gloves where you're punching and you can grab and trying to throw each other on the ground and, you know, and, and get used to fighting exhausted because that's the first thing that takes anybody out is when they get into a real situation, you get, you get about 10 seconds of air and then you're at a point of pure exhaustion, you know, like you just feel like you just ran three miles and you have to learn to keep fighting from that. Like I have a drill that I do with my students called afterburners where they come up to the bag and they just have to unload everything they got you know, for 30 seconds. And after that 30 seconds, they're, you know, they're on the ground, they're dead. They're like, oh, my goodness. I'm like, that's what's going to be like in a street fight because you're going to probably give everything you got to try to win against this person who's given everything they got. But if you're used to that feeling, when you're exhausted like that, you want to know that he's not used to it, and then you've got the edge, you know, to be able to take him out. Um, well, another thing is, is making sure that the training that you do, you know, like you say, when we train, Sometimes, especially when we think self-defense, it starts to become too much fun. And it, it has become fun. And, and I know myself, you know, as a self-defense instructor, it's hard to keep business when you're teaching real self-defense. You know, when I start standing up and start speaking about potential incidents and this can happen and that can happen, I lose my, my female students, you know. Uh, some of the guys will even shy away because they don't want to hear They don't want to take their brain down that avenue of, man, I may have to use this for real to do something. So the way you keep your business going is it has to be fun, you know, so you make it fun a lot of times and then that can end up 
getting to the point where all you're doing is having fun and nobody's really learning anything. So I say always make sure you have training sessions where when you fail, it costs something. You know, and what we use because we're Muay Thai kickboxing is we'll use leg kicks. You know, I say, okay, you guys are going in, you're banging it out, and whoever, you know, quits first, who has to give up, you know, you're getting leg kicks from me. You know, leg kicks really hurt, <laughs> you know, when I give them for Muay Thai. I know how to give them where it's not going to injure the student, but it hurts really bad where they don't want those leg kicks. You know, or you can say, well, whoever loses, as soon as you come out, you have to do 50 push-ups. I do that with my kids. I say, you know, get in there, and you guys are wrestling and grappling, submissions, throws, whatever it is, I don't care, slaps, street fight, whatever it is, and whoever has to quit, is automatic 20 push-ups, you know, and then you just keep going and keep going. They, they get tired of doing those push-ups. You see that whole fight change. You know, they go in there. Now we're not having fun. I'm not doing these push-ups again. <laughs> you know, I'm tired of that. So I'm taking you out. And they're, now they're, they're really in their fight. So I think if you, if you do stuff like that, that can help you to, you know, keep that, that, that true fight instinct in there without, you know, having to lose all your business and people, you know, losing interest because every time we come in, it's just too intense. Yeah. You know, something that came to mind when you were talking about, like, I'm, I'm, I don't know if people are really going to have the opportunity to, like, go and train around criminals, but, you know, when I, when I was in high school, I was really into basketball. Ever since, like, from seventh grade, it was like I wanted to play for the Celtics. I wanted to be Larry Bird. And, and I knew that the only way I was going to do that wasn't for me to just practice alone, practice all my layups, and, you know, I learned the fundamentals, but... I would always in seventh grade and eighth grade and all the way up, I would go and challenge like, you know, in seventh grade, I was challenging the freshmen and then I was challenging the juniors and then I was challenging the seniors. You know, it was like I would get my ass kicked, but I knew that, you know, I had to go outside of my comfort zone in order for me to be the kind of basketball player that I that I wanted to be. And so I guess it's that same thing. You know, you might get people that go to a self-defense class and and they want to feel good, right? Like it feels good to you won that sparring match or whatever. But, right. you know, right. what about going after like the really experienced fighter or the black belt in your class or like, you know, sparring against somebody who's much, much better than you and getting your ass kicked or whatever. Take, take it. Take the take the ass whooping. <laughs> but you're going to know firsthand. I mean, that's not going to be a foreign you know concept to you anymore. You're going to know what it's like to to be on the losing end and what it and even more importantly, what it takes to not be on the losing end to be better. Definitely. Yeah. Well, this is, that's, and it's, it's funny you said, I have a, a student, and he's really good. He's a fighter, but he's, he's always going up against my three-year fighters. He's a one-year fighter, and they always kick his butt. And he always, so he goes in there, he's always scared. He's little, and I'm like, you got to try, you know, and he, he's probably good enough where he could probably hang with them, but he doesn't believe. So I told him, I said, look, all right. You're not going to beat them right now because they're, they're, they're champions. They're way advanced, but they're getting tired of you coming in there acting like a sissy. What I want you to do, your mission today is go in there and piss both of them off. Do you understand me? He's like, what do you mean? I said, I want to see you make them pissed where they beat you up. He's like, oh, okay. So he went in and he did. I mean, he just attacked these guys. He just, I mean, he's almost getting them, you know, and, and you can see them like, you little mother. And they just started unloading on them. She just beat them and dropped them, you know. And he got out and he's looking at me. He's like, sir, did I do it? I was like, yes, you did. Excellent. Good job. You know, so like with what you're saying right there, people are afraid to challenge someone better than them because they don't want to lose. So you have to, they have to put their mind in a position where it's okay to lose. Go in there and like you said, go against a guy who's better than you. And see if you can piss them off, you know, and then that way you have no shyness or no no fear of what you're doing or that, oh, man, I'm not good enough. I'm going to lose. So, you know what? 
I'm going to go there and I'm going to see if I can piss him off where he really tries to beat me up for real today. Then that, that way I'll know that I've gotten a lot better. But yeah, that, that definitely helps, you know, if, uh, you know, going against some of the top ranked guys, you know, fighters or the guys who are better than you, you got to be challenging yourself, you know, through challenging them. Yeah, and even and that's going to help you because if you feel like you said, if you feel like, well, man, I've been going against the black belt series, just like I have people when they, if they spar with me, I say, how can you be afraid of anybody if you spar with me? I guarantee you, when I hit you hard, really hard, there's probably nobody out there except a, a you know, world champion fighter who can hit you like that. So everybody you get hit by, you got to always have in your mind that I've been hit way harder, you know, by Master Chief Jermaine Andre than, you know, than these guys could ever do to me. Right. And that helps to fuel them. Yeah. Yeah. And even just the mental switch it takes to, overcome that that concept of no i don't want to do that because i'm afraid he might i might lose or I might, that fear right. better to face that fear now and, and like i said it's a mental switch to go from you know prey to predator and but you can do that in, a, in an instant awesome jermaine this well, and, really, they're, and they're, they're practicing fighting afraid yeah that's the most important like i said that's mm-hmm. the main thing that like i said the uh criminals know when you get afraid you ain't gonna do crap you're gonna freeze that's you know, point. are you going to fight slap? So if they're afraid, that's why they really should do it because now you're practicing, you know, calming your nerves, you know, focusing, you're practicing believing in yourself while you're afraid. So that, that's definitely good practice. Yeah. And using that fear as a trigger. Yeah. Right. Right. And when you have that, when, when I'm afraid, that means it's on. Yeah. And I tell you, I give, I want to give, and this is, uh, you know, everybody who knows me, they know I don't, you know, use bad language, but this is something that we've always, had that we that one it's like a, a a switch that turns on our switch you know that uh for convicts and i even teach it to my fighters and you know i teach it as people in self-defense they really start to get what's going on i teach them and i say you have to just have this switch in your head you know you get into a self-defense situation you have to say and everybody excuse my language on it but you have to say fuck it let's go just straight fuck it you know what I'm saying? And that when you, if you can get the idea of that, where you say that in your head, that means nothing else in the world matters. That's the, the strongest, you know, uh, you know, cuss word that we have, you know, is the F-U-C, F-U-C-K word. But if you say, when this guy comes up and he's like, I'm going to take you, take you and everything you got, and you say, F it, let's go, then that's going to present you with a spirit and a power that allows you just to use everything you got. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah, it's funny reading your books. You even use like dollar signs for stuff, like <laughs> yeah, for cuss words. Yeah, yeah, yeah for cuss I words. Be... Like... <laughs> awesome. I wanted, I wanted to be, you know, a little at least at least late junior high, you know, high school friendly, uh-huh. because you will when you get into the uh, there's a section where you'll get to the part where the cuss words are used because I had to use them so you could really get the intensity of what was going on, especially inside the prison. But I just didn't want it just to be this book like a rap album you know where every third letter is <laughs> a, a cuss word and i like using that money sign i use the money sign as a symbol because i always say if i put cuss words i make more money here you know because everybody likes to just cuss and cuss and cuss like crazy yeah awesome jermaine thanks so much man this this is um this is really golden information for the people out there because we we hear a lot of lip service we we might go to self-defense classes we might we might hear about it but a lot of it's just regurgitated information that people who really don't have experience, you know, even in actually having real fights. So um, this is really great insight that people can really put to use in their own training, even if it's just the mental training, even if it's just to understand psychologically what you might be facing in attack. It's all valuable. So I really appreciate you, you taking some time with us today. Listen, everyone, um, 
you need to go check out uh, Jermaine's training. I mean, you can see some of his fight training in there. You can see some of the stuff that he does with civilians. Um, he's got a, a he has a new website that's up that is will give you a lot of this information, like a lot of videos. He does a lot of video work, and it's in in support of um, MuayTiger.com, which is the book is Muay Tiger. You can check out the books over at MuayTiger.com, but then also you want to check out MuayTigerAssociation.com. Jermaine, what is what is the uh, the Muay Tiger Association that you, that you put up? Uh, Muay Tiger Association is actually free online training from me, you know, uh, some free tips, you know, and also, of course, you can, you know, there's memberships you can upgrade to and, and actually learn the lessons, you know, uh, a style that I create is called Muay Thai Sprawl. And what I did was I took, you know, everything that I've, you know, experienced that I've learned and I said, you know, hey, you know, of course, Muay Thai is my core art. That's my favorite art, you know, but there's so much that other arts have to offer you know, for number one, you know, if you're just pure Muay Thai, somebody can shoot in and take you on the ground and slam you on the ground and beat your face in. You can't, you know, there's no defense in Muay Thai. So I created an MMA style called Muay Thai Sprawl where, you know, you, you get self-defense, you know, you get your palm strikes, your eye flicks, your, your weapons and everything. But through the Muay Tiger Association, you can actually get the training through that. And we haven't created the video yet. But we are going to create a video for Muay Thai Spall, you know, some weapon disarming, some knife fighting stuff. So, you know, and it's, most of it's free. It's good stuff. Awesome. Cool. Well, thanks so much for that, man. Listen, everybody, uh, go check it out, MuayTigerAssociation.com. And until our next Modern Combat and several broadcasts, this is Jeff Anderson saying train hard, stay safe, prepare now. Modern Combat and Survival. Survival. We hope you've enjoyed the show. You can help us out by rating our podcast on iTunes and leaving a comment. You can check us out on Facebook at facebook.com backslash Modern Combat and Survival. And don't forget to claim your free subscription to Modern Combat and Survival magazine at www.moderncombatandsurvival.com. Lock and load. And we'll see you next time. This has been Modern Combat and Survival.